Welcome to the Tell Janice Radio Show, where you will hear inspiring stories about life, love, and labor from amazing women to help lift you up. Now, here's your host, Janice. Thanks very much, and welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're listening, and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot from our guest today. But before we get started, I wanted to remind you that if you know of a fabulous female that you would like me to give a shout-out with a few words of encouragement, acknowledgement, or congratulations, please let me know their names by clicking on the link at telljanice.com. My guest today is Christina Haxton. She's of Sustainable Leadership, Inc. She is the Chief Potential Officer. I love that title, and I want to hear more about that in a minute. She's out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, Her company is Leadership Development and Executive Coaching. She assists business owners and leaders at all levels to avoid or recover from the brink of burnout, to feel purposeful, reengaged, and to love the heck out of what they're doing again. Welcome, Christina. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad you're here. I always like to get started off by getting to know a little bit about our guest. Can you start with that? Sure. Um, well, I, uh, as you said, I, you know, I do um, executive coaching and leader, leader development, and actually I, I earn my stripes in a little different way than um, most executive coaches out there. I am um, actually was trained and uh, studied to be a marriage and family therapist. And my area of expertise um, was business relationships, or I'm sorry, business partnerships. My, um, my master's thesis was actually on how to develop a values-based business partnership, which today probably isn't such a surprising thing. I think you can, you know, pick up any leadership book and it talks about relationships that work. But this was back in the early 90s. And early to mid-90s when I was writing my thesis along with my then-future business partner, and uh, the, the thesis was nominated for publication in the, the journal, uh, the school's journal, but there was one caveat, and that caveat was that I changed the title. And I, the title was Professional Intimacy, um, I think something like the foundational keys to a successful business partnership. And I like professional intimacy. I've always been a little bit of a rebel and had a little bit of an oppositional defiant reflex. Um, So I refused to change the title and they didn't publish it. Um, The good news was I was patient. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I wanted to stand by, by my, my conviction that it was really about you know, business is about relationship, and you can, you know, you can't leave your human at the door. Um, and I wasn't about to change it to to make it politically correct. Um, but the good news is, is, a few years ago, it was actually um, I was published in a book called The Character Based Leader, instigating a leadership revolution one person at a time, uh, along with 21 other authors. And I got to, you know, bring it up and brag about it and called it professional intimacy and, and talked about the steps to professional intimacy. So um, that's how I'm here today, by not following so being the <laughs> You're the rebel, and being the rebel led you to be part of that group where you could share the professional intimacy part of it. That's terrific. Now, what do you mean by engagement and disengagement in your business? Well, um, I'm, you know, a lot of people, a lot of your listeners are probably, they're in business, they're familiar with the term engagement, and it's really a big buzzword now um, to have engaged employees, 
because they, you know, they're, they're happy, they, they're loyal, they're productive, um, and, you know, you, you keep a lot of your good employees by having engaged employees. Um, and engaged, engagement basically is the emotional connection to one's work. So I do a lot of work with businesses and organizations around increasing engagement of their employees. But what I noticed, again, was I, I have a, I have a, a BS detector, a hypocrisy antenna. <laughs> so as a, as a therapist, I guess maybe that's something I bring to the table that, um, that you know, it, to its double-edged sword. But what I noticed was a lot of these companies that wanted increased engagement to, you know, so that the, their employees are happier and more satisfied and more productive, the leadership was actually unengaged. Meaning, okay, like, for example, i give a quick example of engagement. So let's just imagine you have 10 – you're in a, a, a sailboat race, and you know you're the captain of a boat, and this boat has to get from point A to point B, and you have ten people in the boat, and let's just imagine three of those people are rowing their hearts out, and five people, you know, having one oar in the water, they're just kind of cruising, taking in the scenery, letting everybody else do the work. Two of those people in the boat are actively trying to sink the boat, right? Mm-hmm. So let's just imagine you're the the captain of that boat. What's what's that like, right? Right. Um, probably not going to win the race. Well, so the the numbers, the Gallup studies around engagement, and the Gallup organization does a daily survey of in, engagement of, of our workforce, um, not only um, the United States but also internationally. But that said, so that's what got the attention of a lot of companies and and, and got them all on the bandwagon of increasing engagement, getting more people's oars in the water. Um, but what happens is I've noticed that there's a lot of people in the leadership, at the leadership level um, of companies, executive level on up, who are actually unengaged. They don't have their oars in the water or they're actively disengaged. And when you have an actively disengaged captain, when your captain's trying to sink your ship, you're really in big trouble, right? So, right. So, yeah, so then, so in, in my area, and my area of expertise is actually helping leaders either recover from the brink of burnout or avoid burnout. And so I started noticing that some of these, some of this disengagement that, you know, that not being connected to the, the emotional, you know, emotionally at work, um, being disconnected emotionally, not being connected to the purpose, not feeling like you're making a difference not being able to cultivate relationships that work, that was leading to burnout. So I, I think this engagement and disengagement conversation needs to be first applied at the leadership level. And uh, so that's that's why I'm so interested in the topic, not so much as an employee employee engagement standpoint, but as a, you know, the business owner or, you know, the, the leadership of a company um, or an association, they have to be engaged in order for their employees to to be so as well. Well, that goes in line with people work for their bosses. They work for the CEOs. They don't work for um, the company. So if the CEO is disengaged, it's it's downhill from there. So do you find that with your help, with your company, and can you go in, and how many percentage of the time can you go in and make a difference? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I I think that, and that's a a really good point, too. I think, you know, I'm full of pet peeves, and one of my pet peeves, having been in healthcare at the, in the administrative end and as a director in a healthcare um, facility for many years before I became a therapist, I would get really frustrated because 
you know, you'd hear about these great ideas. You'd go to a training and you'd hear the theory and, and, and you'd think, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. How, but how do I apply it? And so I think one of my, one of my pet peeves turned into one of my missions, which was to really give people the practical strategies they could use immediately that are going to make a difference. So I would say just in general, it sounds like a pretty high number, but I do survey my clients and, you know, I'd say probably around 80%, 80 to 85% of the clients that I work with, um, first of all, who are extraordinarily motivated. I no longer work with people I have to convince that this is a good idea. That's just my choice. So I work with people who are already customers, but they're able to take and immediately use these practical strategies um, immediately back in their organizations. Now, in terms of what's the return on investment, I have a lot of clients who really don't even want to measure that. Um, but when they do, they can see the immediate results, not only in themselves, you know, as the boss themselves, but also in their team. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's more about not just spouting off a theory that says, oh, this is a good idea. We should, you know, we should all be happier at work or we should have better relationships at work. This is the, the I bring the how-to as a therapist um, because I've been helping people get along as a marriage counselor. I've been helping people get along um, uh, for many, many years. So the very same strategies I teach people, what teach, teaching people in my office, I can teach people to use at work because, you know, it's in relationship we learn and grow, and it's in conversation we create reality. And many of us spend much more time at work than we do at home. So why not practice at work? And that's kind of how I started making the transition from a clinical practitioner to being able to, you know, throw the rock into the pond and have a, a bigger effect and working with leaders who were in a position of influence in a company to be able to practice um, these skills in their conversations at work and then be able to see the results right away. It was, it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty cool, to say the least. And these these are business owners and CEOs that are coming to you for help. So it's more of a positive thing. It's not like you're being brought into a company to make a difference. They've actually reached out to you, which I correct. Think now it wasn't a, that wasn't always the case. It was a lot of times I was brought into a company to do more um, coaching with people who were you know on the edge of being fired um, or burn out themselves, but they didn't recognize it. So I actually work really well with people who aren't necessarily customers yet, but I prefer to work people who already have some skin in the game um, because I'm pretty lazy and <laughs> so real efficient with my energy. So it's a lot of work trying to convince somebody that they need to do something they're not yet ready to realize. But at the same token, I'm I'm really good. I, I'll go into companies and do workshops or presentations that help people realize, oh, I didn't realize not only did I have a problem you know, in terms of my team didn't trust me or, you know, that I was not approachable. Now I know that there's something I can do about it. So I'm much more, my, you know, the potential clients are more easily see the problem when they also see that there's a solution that they can use right away. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in how you came up with chief potential officer. You just mentioned the potential. How did you come up with that? I like that. Um. One, I actually saw somebody else with that title, and I just stole it. <laughs> that's a, be all on very honest. But I think that that, that works. For, well, I, so I just reinvented the, the, the title that um, that I that I saw that I thought, you know, I think that people have potential. Oftentimes, the gap between where I am and where I want to be as a leader 
um, is is far enough away for me not to look look for solutions, but at the same time, if I see that there's a solution that's feasible or possible, I actually realize my potential. And and so as a potential officer, I help people kind of become more of who they're supposed to be, um, whether that's as an individual or as a, as, a, as a leader. I really kind of think they're one and the same. Um, but I, I get excited when I see people who can see their potential and are really ready to take action. Right, I bet. Um, let's get back to the professional intimacy. Um, I'm wondering what the th- three key actions executives can take to prevent disengagement. You had men- mentioned burnout, that you're helping with mm-hmm. those. What are the three key actions? Um, the three key actions are connection, curiosity, and caring. And um, connection is really about answering the question, who am I? It's more of a connection to self and purpose than it is mm-hmm connection in the form of conversations with others. That's caring. So connection is being able to answer the question, who am I, where am I going, why am I going there, and who's going with me? Those are four questions that my clients need to be able to answer so they can stay on course, especially when it gets, you know, um, when the, when the, when the, storm, uh, the storms of business, you know, come and go, and, and to, be able to, to be able to sustain being, you know, um, not taken in by the undertow, if you will. You've got to have a really strong athletic emotional stance, if you will, and that's really being very clear about who you are and what's important and being connected to that, and that actually helps people make really difficult decisions fairly easily. Um, It's when we get distracted by all the other extraneous uh, noise that we make poor decisions and and, – and so being connected to being able to answer those questions and connected to your own purpose and, and your mission and your values. And the second is curiosity. Um, many people don't know this, but the very same um, brain chemicals are responsible for, that are responsible for fear are also responsible for curiosity. So these are two emotions that human beings experience. And um, when we're when we're coming from a place of fear. So we're very emotionally driven. We make decisions based on emotions and we justify them with our prefrontal cortex or our thinking brain. It's not the other way around. So we have to really understand that. But then when we're coming from a place of fear, we often misinterpret and misjudge and uh, misunderstand. And so when we come from a place of curiosity, that actually puts us in a position of moving toward a challenge rather than than recoiling from a challenge. And I teach my clients actually how to switch from fear to curiosity using their eyebrows. Um, there's an article I, I wrote on the, it's, I'm sure it's on the Internet, if you look up lizard brain in my name, um, why eyebrows are important, we'll, it will tell you what to do with your eyebrows and why those are important in being able to come from a place of curiosity rather than fear. And, then, and so that's more of a communication tool. And the third aspect of professional intimacy is caring. Um, So when I speak in front of audiences, I oftentimes have them close their eyes and remember their worst boss. Of course, then you can Mm -hmm. see everybody kind of shrink into their seats and their, you know, their whole physiology changes. And then I tell them, don't worry, I won't leave you there. And so then I ask them (laughs) to remember their best boss. And so when they, can you imagine, Janice, what happens when people remember their best boss? Oh, wow. What a difference. 
right? Huge. You can feel the energy in the room shift. And so I tell them to focus on your best boss and tell me exactly what it is that person said or did. And, you know, people remembering bosses from, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago that they still remember. And it's interesting that that best boss just took the time, and I say just in air quotes, right, just took the time to show they cared. You matter, right? right? And that's one of our basic human needs is to feel that sense of that I matter. I, I, I matter. And that that boss used, whether he or she knew it or not, used the tools of professional intimacy to be able to extend that. Now imagine if we just didn't do that accidentally and we actually did that on purpose. And so a lot of my clients want to become that best boss. Mm-hmm. So not so only does that increase their own engagement. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you think, I have a question for you, so do you think, obviously it is teachable and coachable to turn somebody into the worst boss, possibly into the best boss. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people, it's innate. I mean, I've found in my experience it's innate, and they just come to, they have those skills, but some people don't. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're there Mm -hmm. is for those people who don't have those skills. That's, That's great. But they want to learn them. They have to actually mm-hmm. be motivated. Like I said, I'm pretty efficient with my energy. So didn't used to be. I used to work with those people who are very much the performance coaching versus developmental coaching, right? Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it makes such a big impact immediately. I mean, not only do my clients experience their their whole attitude and, and, and level of motivation and engagement shift, but they, I, I help them to look for the signs in their team. And, you know, we learn by example, right? Mm-hmm. Emotions are contagious. So, you know, who who has the most influence in an office? <laughs> the boss, right? Exactly. So I really, yeah, I help the boss become a better boss but, so that they can have a better team and then talk, I mean, and then increased engagement, satisfaction, happiness, connection, clarity of purpose, loyalty, you know, keeping your best people excited and challenged, that all comes as a as a um, kind of a, a result of focusing on the skill areas of professional intimacy. Absolutely. Did you um, choose a safe career path back then? Because you started out as a marriage and family counselor, and then you transitioned into coaching CEOs. That's quite a transition. Did you choose uh, early on a safe career path of marriage and family counseling, and then how did you make that transition as you got um, um, you know, into your career a little bit more? How did I make that transition? You know, I always, I was always much more interested in, in relationships. It was just more about relationships. And while, you know, growing up watching, you know, two horribly dysfunctional parents uh, I loved my parents. They did the best they could with what they had, but they were incredibly ill, if you will, and they didn't have a healthy relationship. And I remember thinking as a very young child, gosh, I just don't think this is the way it's supposed to be. There's got to be a better way. And so I that that became my path to finding out. I always knew there was something I could do to learn. And so to finding out what does a healthy relationship look like. And I ended up um, as a, a a psychology major at UCLA, um, one of the very first uh, 
uh, places I went to just kind of wandered to. It's interesting how you just kind of find yourself in places. And that was the psychology library. And I hit, um, I had never seen a four-story building before. I came from a very small town. So, of course, you can imagine you feel like being a little overwhelming. So I always found solace in libraries. I found the psychology library. I pushed the button on the elevator, the fourth floor button. I went up to the fourth floor. I walked out. And who knew that there were volumes and volumes of books on marriage and family therapy? And I thought, well, that's what I'm supposed to study. And right. So, right. And then from there, I actually worked um, with developmentally disabled and autistic adults, helping them integrate into the workforce when they closed all the psych hospitals in California in the 80s. And so then I became kind of, you know, on a mission to help people understand other people who communicated differently. So I was doing a lot of work in the workforce, helping employers and other employees work with people who had very poor communication skills um, and helping those people have better communication skills. And so then when I went on to my master's thesis, I was always very interested in in the relationships we had at work because the rule was, you know, don't bring, don't let them see you sweat, don't bring your human to the door, leave your feelings at the door. And, and again, I always saw those rules when I was in the workforce as just being ridiculous. And so mm-hmm. when I was coached originally, when I was um, being coached by my mentors um, before I actually had my own business, they told me, well, if you're going to work in the corporate space, you don't tell them you have a clinical background. Don't tell them you have degrees in psychology and marriage and family therapy. Don't use the word therapist. And I thought, okay, why? Well, if you just don't, they're going to think, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna run screaming for the hills. I said, okay. So for the longest time trying to get into the corporate space, it was like going to a gunfight with a knife. I mean, I, I felt like my hands were tied behind my back. And after about five years of feeling like I was beating my head against the wall, I just finally said, heck with it. Well, I didn't say it quite that way. I said it another way. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna bring it up and brag about it. I'm, t- I couldn't be inauthentic anymore. And so, then um, I, you know, it's interesting how you kind of attract like-minded people, and and then ended up with this group of other authors who felt the same way I did in the leadership space, which was, we just have this. We, this just has to be said. This can't be a secret anymore. We got to tell people how to, not just give them theories about leadership. Right, right. There, I think some companies, organizations, they um, they veer away from the personal, you know, personal relationships. And now, you know, you've showed out of your, you know, dysfunctional, as you mentioned it, um, background that you could you could help CEOs. You could help um, first starting with with marriage and family counseling, and then bringing the personal feelings and because we're all we're all human beings and so if we forget that and going into the the workforce and and you know get away from that then they're going to have problems so you've brought that back up you're a great example of someone who who used what their background was and used it to your advantage and now sharing it with everybody else that's terrific Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and there's definitely a way to do it. I mean, let's not, you know, bosses shouldn't become therapists. But that said, we certainly can do a much better job at helping people feel like they matter and and, and having it affect the, the ROI in a, a huge, you know, the bottom line in a huge way. With that not being the goal, it has to be an authentic 
relationship. And there's we absolutely can do it at work. And if I can learn to do it and I can teach other people, anybody else can do it too. So there you well, go. Well, do you, do you work, do you, Christina, do you work mostly with males or females or is it kind of a combination of both? You know, it's funny, I, I, early on in my business, I when I was doing some marketing research, I really would have, I told, I would have told you my business is, fact, you know, my target market is fact, uh, um, mostly female. And the ironic thing was when I actually looked at the numbers um, with, a, with a marketing person that I had hired at the time, my, my clientele are actually tend to be more either one of two kinds of men, not kinds of men, but ages. One is um, in their early 30s, and the other is in their late 50s, early 60s. Mm. So that's a, that's a big variety. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Uh, right? No, it was definitely men. Uh, I, I kind of joke and say, well, um, I think I was my, – my brain is structured more like a man than it is like a woman – which is probably why I think I get along really well with men, but I also understand the way they think. And any part of me that's learned to think like a woman has definitely been learned. So if I can also bring both of those things mm-hmm. to the table, um, I certainly am happy to do that. Well, that's terrific um, advice for all of us. Uh, Christina, do you have any special offers for our listeners? Um, absolutely. Um, I, have a, I have actually, a, because investing in ourselves and and making the time to invest in ourselves and our own personal and professional development is so critical to avoid burnout. Um, What I've done is I have um, developed an online self-directed fully downloadable and it doesn't leader doesn't mean you have to have a title after your name, but anybody who's motivated to be able to transform stress and conflict um, into effective teamwork, productivity, and and excellent results. Um, I have an online training program um, that is fully downloadable. So it's called Discover Seven Power Strategies to Transform Stress and Conflict into Effective Teamwork and Results for Business Owners, Managers, and Leaders at All Levels. Uh, Again, fully downloadable. I think we're an hour and 40 minutes of um, audio, video, transcripts, PDF files. Um, I have clients tell me that they use these tools for years beyond the time that they learn them, um, and it's very entertaining. Hopefully, it's um, it's interactive, as interactive as one can be doing a webinar. Um, and so, what I have is that full program is ninety seven dollars. The price will be going up to one hundred and forty seven dollars by the end of the month. Um, but I'd really like to get people's feedback. Um, and see how they're using this online training um, that they can download and watch or listen at their leisure. Um, so I'm offering it for $97 now. And so that they can find that at sustainable-leaders.com forward slash seven dash strategies dash transform dash stress dash training. So seven strategies, transform stress training, and that will um, they can get access immediately um, and, and start making changes right away to their level of professional intimacy. Well, that's that's going to help a lot of our listeners, and we'll put those links on my website, Tell Janice, just so they can get that straight. Um, you know, I'm curious about your Vistage experience. What a, what a great organization! Can you talk a little bit about that before we get off? 
Um, absolutely. So I'm a Vistage speaker. I'm not yet a member. Um, I just relocated, um, so I haven't really found the group that would, would be a good fit. But I have been a Vistage speaker for a few years. And actually they brought me in to, to speak to about how CEOs can use brain science to transform stress. Um, and here in Colorado, we have some fantastic groups, and and um, and as a speaker, I'm feeling very fortunate to to be able to work with people who are just starting up an organization, and as a Vistage member, um, or people who have extraordinarily successful companies, and um, and I really do enjoy working with the business owner who is you know maybe come from corporate and then wants to start his or her own business. And I find that um, Vistage is a fantastic uh, resource, um, not only in the network of people um, in, in, the, in an individual Vistage group, but the coaches that I've met, um, the, the advisors, the CEO advisors, have just been phenomenal, just an incredibly diverse group of people. That's terrific, and that's great that you're part of Vistage. Thank you so much for being on today, Christina. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely, and again, we're going to put those links that Christina mentioned to um, get in touch with her and what she's offering. This has been so interesting and informative, Christina. Thank you so much, and I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our guests has, have as well, and we appreciate the information ideas. Thank you very much for coming on the show once again. Thank you. One of my shout-outs today is for Rachel Hawkhauser, who recently had an article published in Darling Magazine called I Can't See What's Wrong. Rachel is an inspiring young woman who says that instead of looking at your blind spots as flaws to be corrected, you might want to consider viewing them as opportunities. She is one fantastic female and an inspiration to all of us. Go, Rachel. This week, I'd also like to give a shout-out to Julie Fox, who is a local Mary Kay representative with a national team called MK Fox Family on Facebook, and she is at the top of her game. I recently attended one of her workshops and saw her in action. Wow, she's a true leader of women and is helping many of us girls become independent business people and inspires us all to realize that we all have greatness within. We just need to harness it. We're going to break for a commercial, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Linda Ellerby. Did you know that every three minutes, another woman gets the news she has breast cancer? I got it 11 years ago, and I know how scary it can be. Everything your doctor says sounds like a foreign language. HER2 new, oncogene, aromatase inhibitor, ductal carcinoma in situ. What do these words mean? How are you going to decide what to do if you can't even say what you have? Please listen. As soon as you get your diagnosis, go to breastcancer.org. It's a special place on the Internet where you can learn how to say all those breast cancer words and find out what they mean. At breastcancer.org, you can learn more about your particular kind of cancer and your treatment options and get all kinds of other useful information to guide you and your family through this. The first place to go the minute you find you have breast cancer, breastcancer.org. You've been listening to the Tell Janice Radio Show. If you'd like to be a guest or suggest a guest for the show, or if you would like to nominate a fabulous female for a shout-out by Janice on the live show, please visit www.telljanice.com. Please share this episode with your social network and help us lift women up. Join us next week for another episode of Tell Janice.